welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we have a special guest co-host, Neil Peacock, who will be interviewing a key leadership figure in the transportation industry. Neil is president of the Superior California chapter of AEP and serves as a senior environmental planner with the California Department of Transportation, or Caltrans. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce our featured guest. Yes, thank you so much for having me. With us today, we have a very special guest, Toksoma Shokin, who currently serves as Secretary for the California State Transportation Agency and recently served as the Director of Caltrans, where he oversaw a $17 billion transportation budget and supported nearly 22,000 employees across 12 districts that serve the entire state highway system and its partnering networks. Secretary Omoshakin's leadership vision for the state's transportation system focuses on providing a safe, equitable, sustainable, and multimodal transportation system that builds on strong local partnerships and advances the foundational principles of safety, equity, and climate action. Tokes champions an organizational culture of transformative innovation and intelligent risk-taking that will be needed to achieve zero traffic deaths and reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector by 40% by the year 2030. Before coming to California, Tokes also served with the Tennessee Department of Transportation, where he successfully established a number of environmental and transportation planning policies across several divisions. Prior to that, he served as Director of Healthy Living Initiatives for the Mayor's Office in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, where he helped establish a more balanced approach to transportation planning and roadway design. In addition to these leadership roles, Mr. Omoshekin is also chair of the Council on Active Transportation for the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials and serves on the board of several nonprofit and academic institutions. Let's welcome Tokes. Tokes, thanks so much for joining us. You have a wide and varied background. Um, would you tell us a little bit about, um, for the Environmental Leadership Chronicle here, um, how your career path led to your current leadership position here in transportation? Sure thing, Neil. Uh, thanks for the introduction and, and thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate everything that you are doing uh, at Caltrans. You're in the environmental environmental team there. Uh, it's, a, it's a big responsibility, uh, but uh, nothing but good news has been coming out of that that group uh, lately. So appreciate everything you guys are doing. And, and Jessa, good to, good to see you again. Thanks for the invitation to be a, a part of such an important discussion uh, with environmental leaders across the state. So my, my career, uh, to get to your question, Neil, my career has, uh, has, has not gone through a straight line. Uh, it's gone through different crisscrosses. I've uh, faced several forks in the road, if you will. Uh, and I think a lot of us can attest to points and moments like that in our career where we have to make uh, big decisions. And uh, one of the biggest decisions for me clearly was uh, whether or not to pursue an opportunity to come to California to head up the largest uh, department of transportation in the country. Uh, and uh, I knew coming that what comes along with that, of course, is the responsibility, a major responsibility for environmental, uh, environmental issues uh, in the state as well, the partnership that's involved there. But I can, if I could put it in a brief way for people uh, in the environmental space or anywhere uh, who's listening or watching, if I could put it in a brief framework for people to understand it. Uh, here's uh, an acronym for you, PHDE, uh, PHDE. Um, and I'll, I'll break those four down real quick and try to explain it to, uh, to people. Number one, 
the P uh, is partnerships or relationships. How important that is to the progress that I've had. I don't think you can, uh, anybody who's had any kind of success in the world, uh, for the, both of you here the, today, I don't think any one of us can point to anything and say, oh, I did this all by myself. It's because, uh, Jessa, because you're such an amazing person. <laughs> Or Neil, because you're just so great at what you do. That's why you're where you are today. No, there are people along the way who said, okay, I, I, let me give Neil a shot here. Let me give him a, an opportunity, even though they may have had some questions about you and whether or not you could do it, but they did. And it's the same story for me. Um, but those partnerships and those relationships, I can tell you were not, they were not transactional. And that's where we get mixed up sometimes. And I start to remind people very often, we get into relationships and partnerships and we think, oh, I'm doing this for you because you're going to pay me back. And we can't approach relationships that way. That's not what a relationship is about. The, the example that I always give is if you had a spouse or a significant other and you say, well, the only reason why I'm taking out the trash is because you're going to be washing the dishes today. No, you take out the trash because it needs to be taken out. Because you're gonna have you're gonna have problems in your house if you don't take out the trash, not because you're expecting something in return. That's the same way we approach the relationships in the um, professional sense, in the workspace sense. Is I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I'm building this partnership and this relationship because it's the right thing to do, and that's what's helped me uh, all uh, along uh, uh, through my career. The H in that PhDE is hard work, hard work. Uh, people look at you sometimes and they say, oh, wow, look at where Neil is today. I mean, he's just had an easy ride. He's been coasting to, to this place. They can't see the months and the days and the nights of work and studying and all those kinds of things. Um, I don't know how many man hours or labor hours I've put into jobs that I've had. I, I countless countless. That's cost me time even with family, more time than it should. Uh, but uh, that hard work pays off in making a difference, not only for my family, but for the service that I'm providing to people. I've, I've served in, in government for over, uh, over 20 years now. Uh, and so it pays off in seeing a difference for the people we serve. That's what this is all about. So hard work, nothing beats it, uh, and it'll eventually pay off. The D in PhD is dedication to people and dedication to purpose. Dedication to people or dedication to purpose. We have to, all of us, Jessa, you have to be able to find what your purpose is. Like, why are you waking up every day? If you're still breathing, you're still coming in, to do a job or work, a place where you spend more time than with your loved ones, then there has to be a purpose to it. Um, and so I've been dedicated since I found that and have been honing that, um, I've been dedicated to that. And, and so that's part of what's gotten me to hear, dedication to that purpose of people. And finally, and last, and maybe not the least uh, in that PhD is education. Um, uh, Nothing, uh, 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 people always say there are multiple equalizers in the, in, in the world. Uh, to me, one of the biggest equalizers that can 
somewhat level the playing field for, for all of us is making sure you get a, a quality education. Now, I, you know, I didn't go to Ivy League schools and all the top universities in the world, but I was extremely, um, extremely attentive and grabbed what I could from that. And the degrees that I have, I'm in two months, uh, fingers crossed, uh, praying so, in two months, I'll be getting a PhD um, as well in engineering management. I have a bachelor's in engineering technology and a master's in urban planning. Um, and I think I'll be a lifelong learner um, uh, all the way through the rest of my, my life. So get that as much as you can. It doesn't necessarily have to be a college degree. It can even be a certificate. But continuing to grow our knowledge is something that we have to embrace um, uh, throughout. And I think it will continue to pay dividends by helping us advance uh, our, our careers. You know, you said something very interesting um, throughout, but one of the things I'd like to key on is um, because, you know, we, we, we work for the environmental workforce <clears throat> and you mentioned people. Um, and, and, the, and as we rise through the ranks, we begin to work more through people than, than as a specialist, right? At what point in your career um, did you sense that you would become a leader, that it's the power of working through others and empowering others that perform different functions in the environmental field or transportation planning field for that matter, the engineering field for that matter, um, that's where you would make an impact for the profession? Well, that's a really good question, though, because uh, I think it, all of us have to be at some point either, you know, as we're going through our careers now or uh, as we go through it in the future, we have to be searching for that. If there's an interest there, for me, there was an interest to get to a space where I was, you know, directly, more directly engaging and impacting people. That was something of interest, uh, even though. Most of my family members would tell you, oh, he's a complete introvert. He likes to be on his own. And it's probably true, but I, there, was a, there was an itch. There was an inkling to want to go there. And I think the moment was, I, I used to work in the planning department for the city of Nashville. Um, and in 2008, a new mayor was elected to the city. And that new mayor said, I want to make Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, the greenest city in the Southeast, uh, knowing you probably can't compete with cities in California on the West Coast, but the Southeast, I want to make it the greenest city. And his name was Carl Dean. And he clearly understood transportation was the biggest challenge towards getting there. So who's the guy in the city who's working on sort of innovative, creative ideas on how to make transportation more uh, environmentally friendly? And they say, yeah, there's this guy named Tokes at the planning department. And so next thing you know, I'm sitting in front of the mayor doing an interview. And I'm, I don't know, I'm in my late 20s or something. Um, and he gave me the opportunity. And post that, uh, after getting a chance to be in an office right around the corner from him, in a, a big city, and seeing the kind of impact that he has and the decisions that he made as the mayor, not only of Nashville, but how that impacted other cities in the state of Tennessee and how he was even perceived nationally, I got the bug. I was like, wow, you mean to tell me a mayor can help impact transit and help buses and build greenway trails and parks where people can go be in the outdoors and 
all these things, I mean, that he can put that in his budget and lean on the city council and get the city council to vote for it. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be a public servant um, in this forum, being able to impact things this way work. And not the fact that I wasn't doing that for the prior six and a half or seven years that I was working for the planning department. I was, but I was doing it sitting in front of a computer doing GIS maps and AutoCAD. And not that there's anything wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. But I had an itch and an inkling uh, for wanting to impact it more directly. When we talk about transportation and environment, um, environmental concerns, um, environmental compliance, um, you know, it, it impacts um, the, the lives of everyday citizens. Mm. Uh, how would you explain that, you know, to the average, you know, average folks across the state, um, you know, how would you explain the, the connection between transportation and the, and the environment and the impact that that nexus has on their life, why they should care, so to speak? Well, yeah, definitely should care for sure. Anybody listening to this um, uh, definitely should care. So that, that relationship is an interesting one. Um, I, I would call it a, a obviously a two-sided coin, the relationship between transportation and the environment. On one side of that coin, I would say it's, uh, it's tenuous. <laughs> there's tension there. Uh, and the other side of the coin, I would say uh, there's a dependence there, if you will. And I'll start with the dependence. Um, from, from a dependence standpoint, there's nothing we can do uh, in this world, even as we sit where we are today uh, in remote places in the state, there's nothing we do that doesn't somehow impact transportation. There's a dependence on it. So we're using computers to have this discussion. They got to the desk and the offices and where we're in through transportation. If you sit at home, wherever you are, transportation plays a role. I came in today, I actually drove today. Some days I take the light, uh, the light rail in uh, from uh, Folsom where I live. So transportation is interwoven into our daily lives. If we want to have a good quality of life, I don't care if you live in a town of 500 people, um, you're, you're going to need to get um, uh, something through transportation in some um, form. Or in a big city, if you're in a big apple, you're in Los Angeles, you got to walk somewhere, you got to use a train. So this is the sector, absolutely, that is no doubt woven into our daily lives. And so that, that's where the dependence is. We need transportation. The tension uh, in that relationship is the fact that every time we advance it, every time we do more in transportation, there's a negative, most of the times there's a negative impact uh, to the environment, unless that transportation is solely human powered. So, you know, you just walking somewhere, you know, or, or riding a bike somewhere, but even if we're just doing that and that human power on a scooter, you need you need to build a road, you need to build a path. So you're impacting land, you're impacting dirt, you're making uh, the ground that was not uh, that was formerly pervious, where water, some water could run through it. You're not making it. You're not making it uh, non-pervious. So there's all every advancement we make. There's always some kind of offset uh, to the environment. So it's incumbent upon us that as we advance, that we try to make it as clean 
um, as safe um, and as equitable as possible. That's our biggest responsibility. And so uh, it's tight. It's woven into our daily lives. We need it. We're dependent on it. Uh, but there's a tension there. But as we we address that tension, we need to make sure um, that we are making sure it's as environmentally uh, clean as possible. That's great. I was wondering if you could expand maybe with a couple more examples um, of how we can design and build transportation infrastructure and services and strike that that balance with quality of life and with environmental protection and preservation. You know, Caltrans is really making some amazing strides and helping move the state's transportation investments in a, in a new and more environmentally conscious direction. Um, could you share a couple more examples of those kinds of initiatives? Yeah, so, you know, the, <clears throat> the Caltrans, uh, Caltrans uh, as I leave, this is my second week uh, being Secretary of Transportation for a state. Um, and uh, again, had for two and a half years, the honor of being uh, the 33rd director of, uh, of Caltrans. Uh, we had three foundational principles and you know this well, Neil, I hope you do as a, as a, a senior staffer there, uh, but it, it was climate action, uh, 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 anything related to equity, uh, issues around equity, and of course, safety <clears throat> being our biggest, uh, our biggest responsibility, uh, making sure that the system the system we're building, maintaining, operating was safe. But to move to the climate action uh, part, the responsibility we had there under several um, several uh, guides, if you will, uh, was to make sure that uh, issues around SB 743, which was a law that was passed in 2007, uh, issues around cap time, which was a policy document, a policy visionary document got developed by CALSTA, the, the agency on our lead in July of 2021, making sure that we were doing um, work uh, that supported that bigger vision for the state, that law and that policy document. So our strategic plan at Caltrans embraced these, um, embraced these same principles and the same outlook. Um, uh, all the, all the policy documents that we were putting together, a complete streets policy that I um, signed off on right um, before I left to guide our work. But the way to really get there, to get to the nut of your question, I was pretty macro level there. To get The way to get there is to really try to build out uh, options in the transportation system. That's the way to do it. I think we're doing some incredible work as a state uh, when it comes to the uh, autonomous vehicle and electric vehicle or their vehicle space. But to really get to our long-term goals when it comes to having a more environmentally friendly transportation system, it's going to mean that we're providing options for people and goods to be able to get about the state. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So building more opportunities for people to walk um, on state highways connecting that system, making sure that it's safe as we continue to see serious injuries and fatality numbers go up, making sure that walking is safe, making sure biking and uh, micro mobility is safe. Um, again, not only on neighborhood and local streets, but the state highway system as well, as big and massive as those 50,000 miles are that we're responsible for, making sure that where we're, uh, uh, we're, it's allowable by law 
not, you know, not, you know, not the interstate or freeway system, but where it's allowable by law, we're building in that network, transit, you know, buses, rail, uh, uh, high-speed rail uh, uh, as well. How do we bring those projects uh, to fruition? And then on the freight side, again, diversifying how goods move about the state so that it's not only combustion engine, 18-wheeler trucks that are moving goods about, but cleaner trucks using water, marine uh, marine system, using rail uh, to be able to get. That's how we're going to be this unbeatable state. Um, this uh, top-notch state. We already uh, have the largest economy uh, in, in the country, the fifth largest economy in the world. But we also want to be have the cleanest, the safest, and the most equitable system uh, in the country and hopefully in the world. And that's how we get there. Caltrans is a, is a large organization. And now as secretary of CALSTA, you're over other state departments um, dealing with the transportation. It's a, it's a pretty wide and varied world out there. And, and, and now you're basically the steward of a much larger workforce. Um, Caltrans itself has over 22,000 people, um, ranging from environmental planners to, to design engineers and, and field maintenance crews and administrative support staff. And the same is, is true for, for every agency that, that you now oversee. So that's a pretty big responsibility. Um, with that said, how do you take care of yourself so that you can take care of your organization and the organizations that you lead? Yeah, that's a, that's a uh, Neil. You're you're hitting some uh, you're you're hitting some pretty good balls. I'm, uh, good job on the questions. So, you know, when I mentioned that PhDE initially. And how I believe that's what helped me get to where I am today. Uh, what I failed to mention was what's at the center of it all, or overarching of it, of it all. Um, and uh, it's faith and family for me. That that's that's sort of my center. And I think people have to find whatever their center is. Um, I was asked a question one time. They said, "If you could start a blog." Um, what would the what would be the the name of that blog? Uh, and I said uh, I said something like it, it was an interview like this, and I think I said uh, mind bar mind body spirit blog MBS blog. Um, I, for and the point I'm trying to make is we spend a lot of time you know working on our, our mind and our, our body, but. I mean, we've got to have a spiritual grounding as well, a center as well. And for me, you know, finding time to to meditate and, and to, to pray and to do those things, I think helps me find a little bit of balance in, in the one. Because not only do I have a hectic schedule when it comes to work, it's like that in my personal life as well. When I was leaving the house this morning, my wife was reminding me that both kids have a practice tonight. So there's a soccer practice and basketball practice. Wife's a nurse practitioner. She runs a big, works with a big operation here in Sacramento. So she has a tense schedule as well. Our lives, uh, kids play music. Uh, they have very intense private schools. I mean, it, there's a lot, lot going on on the private front and on my public responsibilities for the state. So we're always on the go. So uh, finding time to to 
to pray and to just kind of center myself uh, and faith and family is what kind of helps me uh, become a little bit more centered and grounded to be able to do this incredible uh, uh, work and assignment that I'm responsible for. So these are these are great responsibilities, um, and it, it can't be easy um, to fulfill a role uh, like you do um, at the level that you do. Um, given all those different responsibilities in your personal life, your professional life, um, what would you share as some of the greatest responsibilities that you feel to the state and to the environmental workforce in the in the role that you play? Yeah, so I think. To be quite frank, before I left uh, Caltrans, um, those responsibilities were beginning to get put in place. Now, it, it's going to be, there's a saying that says, uh, where you stand often depends on where you sit, um, if that makes any sense. And so I'm sitting in a different seat now. Mm-hmm. So where, where I stand, my stance on some issues may change. Um, but if they change, it's because I'm taking a, a wider breadth, a wider view of the issues that uh, we're responsible for. Now I'm responsible for, uh, for eight departments versus one department at Caltrans, or uh, I should say eight departments, boards, and, uh, and commissions. That's not just uh, departments. So, uh, to, 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 so the point I'm making is that will evolve over time. It, my my stance or, or position on these issues. But when I was at Caltrans, that responsibility, it really centered around three issues. And I've talked about them a little bit already. The climate needs uh, for the state uh, as it relates to the environment, uh, equity and safety. The biggest of those three, if you said you wanted to put them on a scale somehow, um, and I, I hate doing that. It's like, you know, people saying, which one's your favorite dog or your favorite child? Um, you, I mean, you just hard to pick, but if one were to be a little bit over the other, it would be the safety responsibility. But I'll talk about the environmental one because, um, I, again, when you think about GHG in California, the greenhouse gas emissions in the state, it's now up to nearly 50% uh, of the poor ear that we're breathing in comes from transportation. It's everything that we are doing in the transportation space. It's half of every the bad air quality um, in the in the state. If, if you're thinking, well, mm, that kind of makes sense. Uh, well, it, you think about the country, it actually doesn't. California has the highest percentage when you put all the sectors together from across the, each state. California is 50% for transportation. It's higher than any other state. It's because of our dependence in single automobile travel, uh, not just because we have the largest population. Uh, for the United States, for example, if you're, if you're wondering, it's at 28 or 29%. That's how much GHG from transportation impacts air quality for the whole country. So we're 11 uh, to 12 points higher than what that number is for, um, for the country. And if you wonder, if some people are wondering, because I know this gets into the whole red and blue, I'm a purple person, you're a red person, and what causes this? And if you're one of those people, uh, just, just think about this for, for, for a second. In 2020, in 2020, 
we saw the highest decrease in bad air quality in the country, the highest decrease, a 10% decrease in bad air quality in America. And guess what? Guess what? The pandemic, less cars on the road. Yes, yes. So we started teleworking, fewer people driving, um, even though freight, some freight volume was up um, because of uh, people demanding and needing more goods at home, you know, ordering takeout and, and things like that and more stuff from Amazon and Walmart. Uh, we nevertheless still saw a 10% decline. And that was the main reason was because fewer vehicles, uh, because the VMT dropped by 35 to 40%, then we saw a 10% decrease. So there's clearly a connection if anybody's wondering between air quality and the fact that we have a huge dependence on driving. So um, if there were a big responsibility is to continue to see how in this, in this role, whether it be a Caltrans or a Calsta, how we can continue to diversify how people and goods move about. So it's not just uh, Tokes sitting in a car by himself driving to work every day, uh, but options for him to be able to do that. And, and through this conversation, you have mentioned um, partnership and, and innovation. And I think that, that that kind of alludes to where I'm going with what will likely be our, our final question um, for this conversation, which is especially now that you have taken on this new role that's, that's much more expansive than the mission of one particular department, but really leads transportation for the entire state. That's a, it's a very um, all-encompassing kind of assignment that you got there. So what do you see um, in the years to come as being the biggest challenge areas for that nexus between partnership and innovation? Where do you feel like we as an industry, private sector actors, public sector agencies need to partner for innovation? Well, that's um, that's not a really good question, Neil. Um, So when people in the past have asked me, what is, what is the future of transportation? Um, I, I always say it, it boils down to three things when, it, when I'm asked that question. And number one, we have to maintain and operate the system better. We have largely, in my opinion, built out the major highway systems that we need to build for this country and this state. We don't need to build any more giant freeways in California. We're mostly done. I would say we're 99% there. Um, there may be some a few uh, parts of the state that still need some highway connectivity, but it's, it's mostly done. So how do we get the best out of using technology, using innovation? How do we use that to get the best out of what we have today? That existing... The state side is only 50,000 miles. There's another 200 plus, 200 plus thousand in local and county owned um, facilities in the state. Um, so that's just, a, that's just one small, the state is just one component. So if it's largely there, how, how does innovation, um, how, does it, how does it help us optimize it? Because if you really think about it, the, system that is we see the congestion on all the time there are hours of the day where it's completely empty i mean there's nothing on it 
I mean, you're, you're talking about we go from somehow he's having 250,000 cars to 50. So if that's the case, how do we optimize the best? How, how do we get the best out of this multi-trillion dollar investment that we've made in the state? So number one, maintain and operate the system better. That's number one in future transit. Number two, I've already talked about this at length. I won't go there a lot um, again, um, but it has to be multimodal. The future of transportation has to be multimodal, um, even though, you know, the first bicycle was, you know, hundreds of years old the first time somebody ever used it. I think it's still going to be woven into our daily life. It needs to be. The most successful cities in the world that people love to go to in many places across the globe, one of the first things you notice when you get there is there are a ton of people walking in on bikes. I mean, it's, it's just a given. I don't care where it is in Europe, in Asia, in Africa. You see people walking, biking. Um, and so how does that become even more of the norm in a state like California? That's as expansive and as built out as it is. How does that still become fully incorporated? Um, and then the last thing, and it's kind of connected to the, to the first point, uh, it needs to be uh, techn technologically advanced. That's the third and, and final. And it's kind of uh, connected to the operate and maintain better. Speaking of environmental issues, California has sold more than 1 million electric vehicles. The governor announced it last month. Governor Newsom uh, had a big statement on this last month, um, which is 40%, 40% of the entire ZEV market of America uh, based, is, uh, based in, in California. So as zero emission vehicles advance or electric vehicles, we will see the connectivity to autonomous vehicles as well. Um, and I think those two issues are clearly connected, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see dividends environmentally from those uh, those connections between those two as well. Well, we're honored to have you, and I'm personally inspired by someone who has been a transportation planner and environmental planner, has managed transportation engineers, uh, run programs at the local, regional, and the state level um, to, to be taken over the helm at, at CalSTA to help lead all of us, whether we're uh, state agency employees, uh, local agency representatives, um, uh, you know, private consulting firms, or, um, you know, elected officials that we work with in partnership to, to drive this vision of an integrated multimodal transportation system forward. We're going to go ahead and move into wrap up with our rapid five. This is just a fun little exercise that we do as a part of this podcast. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you a uh, five quick questions and you're going to give me five quick responses and we'll do them one after the other. Ready for this? Not really, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> well, I guess you are, you've uh, signed up for challenges every day at a moment's notices. So let's give this a shot and yeah. uh, <laughs> two weeks into it, maybe just a little bit of practice. So thank you again so much for joining us, Tokes. It's, it's, sure. it's been, a, it's been an honor. Okay. What is your favorite daily habit? Meditation and prayer. Uh, slash workout. Very good. Um, three things that you would bring to a deserted island. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my wife, <laughs> music, and uh, uh, food. And you'll never be bored. Uh -huh. uh, next one. Uh, what's your favorite environmental policy? The Clean Air Act. Um, you can... Uh, Purify water. Air is hard to purify. 
<laughs> it's harder to purify, I should say. Spoken like a true planner. <laughs> um, uh, favorite flora or fauna, flower or plant? Uh, a palm tree. Very good. Mm -hmm. Hope you got a vacation in your near future. You deserve it. Um, okay, and then the last one here is finish the sentence. It would be cool if the world had endless peace. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end on. Tokes, I'm a shaken. Thank you so much for joining us. You provide an inspiration for everybody in the environmental workforce and everybody working for transportation in general. Absolutely. That, that, thank you, Neil. Very good and, and thoughtful astute questions that you asked. So, so thank you. And, and just so thank you for pulling this together and organizing uh, the both of us to, to be on. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thank you, Secretary. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. If you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo that's under one minute to podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org. That's podcast with an S at the end, podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org. Or please send any feedback you'd love to share. Thank you.